For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Everyone, welcome, welcome back to another episode of Millennial Money. Super excited to be back. Good old Tuesday after a three-day weekend. We uh, went right back to a crappy stock market. I thought maybe after all the pain, people would uh, get over the selling. You know, maybe they got that out of their systems. But no, no, today got worse. And not only did today get worse, but you had all the hedgies and institutions get out on Twitter over the weekend or on CNBC today talking about how they're selling everything, about how things are going to fall even more, about how everything's just going to get worse with the fed not better and uh it's it's all a bunch of busha creating some wonderful opportunities to go shopping in the market unfortunately it kind of sucks when you're kind of out of money but uh I'm, I'm scrounging together pennies and uh yeah i'm going shopping what about you guys <laughs> first of all i want to say uh for big shout out by the way to all the members of the group to millennium money really appreciate it and i just realized anytime we click live we clicked live at exactly 6 p.m today but it seems like there's about a one minute delay in between the time that we go live and when it shows up for you guys. So I just want to be clear. We did start on time today. Uh, it's just, there's a, there's a slight delay there of a minute, but I didn't get a not notification for this, by the way. So I don't know if uh, maybe I did something wrong on this, hmm. but uh, no notification went out. I'm not sure if that's uh, if I messed that up. Today, wow. I tried to Good job, Graham. You messed but it up. But did you at least <laughs> buy the dip? I did. I did right. buy the dip today. So you would be you'd be proud. I bought more of that S&P 500. I bought uh, I've been actually loading up lately more on international. I got an international index fund. And wow. so usually I, I'd go about like 10% in this international index fund lately. I'm going more like 25 to 30%. So if I invest 1000 in the S&P, I'm investing about 300 in, in the international. Hmm. Why? Why? Yeah. Why international? Uh, I think there's a lot of potential for international markets to do quite well. And I forget who's, who said it, but, uh, or maybe it was Jamie Dimon actually, who said that over the last, uh, over the next 10 years, he expects international stocks to do quite well. So I figured, and, and I'm underweight, I think overall between, uh, U.S. based and inter international, so I may as well play a little catch up now. Jeremy, you look like you know something you're not telling us. <laughs> no, I'm not getting involved in that one. No, 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 no. I just do the opposite was, of what Jeremy if, Simon. Like Andre, just... if it was <laughs> if it was you or Kevin, I would have attacked that that statement. But since it's Graham, I'm going to let it fly. Okay, so oh, <laughs> we're just going to move on. We're just going to move on from Jamie. All right, here. Room. Hold on a sec. Hold on. Yeah. I'm going all in on international tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. Am, am I, Over here. Or someone explain it to me. So if, if we have a strong dollar, does that sort of imply a, a weak international market usually because everyone's trying to flood into the dollar? Uh, or is that my misunderstanding? Jeremy or me? What that's do you want? A, that's a heavy, that's a heavy yeah, subject yeah. there. I mean, I'm I'm so interesting. Here, it, it so just when, rise, when no. bond yield ri yields rise, right? Everyone wants to go to safer assets. Do dollar gets stronger, and therefore, international markets usually don't go as far. Well, well, well people actually buy the U.S. bonds more generally when when the well. So here's what happens: if yields go up, 
yeah, then then all of a sudden our bond market becomes more desirable as a risk-free rate of return, uh, and, and that can strengthen our dollar. The problem with that is our export market. We want to be able to export our products and not have this massive trade deficit. And with a strong dollar, we actually become less competitively uh, strong in, in international trade. Now, I personally don't want to invest in the international market whatsoever right now. I think the United States is going to blow Europe and China and, and Asia out of the water in terms of growth uh, coming out of this pandemic. I think we're the strongest country in the world right now. I think there will be opportunities to invest, but you've got massive inflationary problems in areas like uh, South America, uh, parts of the Middle East, especially Turkey. Uh, I think China's and, and uh, Asia are going to have they're going to have massive problems actually getting over COVID to the point where they're happy and having a, a free and open economy again. Plus, they got the overhang of Evergrande. The last thing I want is international exposure. But that's just me personally. I mean, I, I could be totally wrong. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm I'm all in on U.S. and, and buying this dip. But if, so for me, strong dollar, great. Pushes yields down uh, as, uh, as, as you know, yields go up, dollar strengthens, but more people get in, more people buy the bonds. Eventually, if more people buy the bonds, yield goes down again. And eventually it all circles back to tech being the winner. So, so, eventually. So, so before we get into why the stock market is kind of crashing, shouldn't it, uh, shouldn't bank stocks be up right now with all this whole, you know, yields going up scare? Well, it, I mean, that was the assumption and everybody flooded into the banks over the last few weeks. But the problem is the bank uh, earnings have kind of been sucking. I mean, if you look at the Fed repo market, you see the banks are storing all their excess cash in. Uh, well, not all of it, but a ton of their extra excess cash over at the Federal Reserve because nobody wants to borrow it. There's not that much loan demand uh, compared to a money that's available and flooded into the system. This is why when the Federal Reserve starts tightening, they're actually not going to start tightening for another year and a half because there's so much excess money floating around uh, that that nobody has a use for right now. So so quantitative tightening is really going to be a big nothing burger. And, and this this whole like Federal Reserve, oh my gosh, we're going to raise rates and vacuum up money is is, is a big uh, uh, over uh, over sell off, in, in my opinion. So I'm, I'm not worried about that at all. Uh, why, why did banks go down? Well, in addition to all this excess money that they have nothing to do with and lower bank earnings because of that lower lending, uh, the trading revenues have been plummeting. It's also why fintech is selling off because uh, people, retail buyers just don't have as much money anymore. They're relatively profitable uh, for institutions. You've got institutions themselves getting less inflows. So you've got less volatility in the markets. Less volatility means less revenues. And, uh, you know, Goldman Sachs, people call it a bank, but it's it's really an investment company. <laughs> it's JP Morgan too. I don't think they make like 25% to a third of their money from trading uh, and, and investing services. So when that volatility dries up, it's no surprise. Yeah. And Andre, another thing kind of killing the banks right now is compensation. You know, Goldman Sachs compensation yeah. expense was up like 30 Incomes something. Going way up, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So bonuses going out at the end of the year there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah so, so that's hurting. And yeah, you think uh, traditionally like rates go up. That means great for bank stocks, like buy bank stocks. And I, you know, I, I had a, a conversation with a friend recently and I looked at JP Morgan stock from 2018 to the mid 2019 as rates went up and JP Morgan actually went nowhere during that time. And then rates started to fall and JP Morgan stock actually started to go up prior. This is right prior to Rony Rona crash. And then, you know, obviously it tanked down, then it came back. So yeah, I think Kevin makes great points there about, well, if rates go up, there might not be as much lending activity. And also uh, it could already be priced in, um, you know, with some of these moves and things like that. And then if you don't have trading volumes, like Kevin was talking about there, there's not as much money for the banks to make. Um, but here's but it seemed like, by the way, for JP Morgan, JP Morgan, it seemed like they really started to go up around late 2013, 2014. 
I believe that was around the time where they tried to completely reinvent themselves as a bank. They came out with the Chase Sapphire Reserve. They appealed to a millennial audience. They got much better. Chase became a great bank account then. So I think it was in conjunction with a whole bunch of other things that they just transformed their business. Chase well, they also bought, they bought Washington like, Mutual. Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, Tell us about your experience really quick with, with Chase because I saw you post like five different yeah. Things on I knew I know that banks typically don't like crypto. Like we know we've heard that before, but I never had a personal experience with that. And uh yeah, so I, I have a Chase business account with them. Um and I tried to transfer fifty thousand dollars, which is the wire limit, out of my account into uh Coinbase. And I couldn't do it. I got locked out of my account. So they just suspended and shut down my account. So I have to be on the on, on the phone call with them for two hours on their on their automated machine process to reinstate my account by proving my identity by going through all these questionnaires, uh, this the survey, and so they were like, okay, I apologize. We're going to leave a note here on your account that you're going to transfer money out. I was like, okay, cool. So I'm not going to get shut down again, right? They're like, no, you're good. You can transfer money out. Okay, so I initiate a transfer while I have the agent on the phone with me. And I get an email saying it's pending. So I'm like, okay, cool. It's going to go through. And 15 minutes later, I, I try to log in to my app and it just says that it was suspended again. <laughs> like, are you kidding? Like, is this a joke? So I call them back and I just can't get them on the phone for like another two hours. And I get wow. the same one around being transferred. Like, I, I kid you not, I'm not exaggerating. I was transferred four times every time I called from one department to the next, from one to the next. And uh, yeah, the third time I called them, uh, they f I couldn't even reinstate my account because I failed my like security questions, one of which was my birthday and the other one was my previous employer. So I don't know how I could have gotten either of those questions wrong unless the agent on the other end of the line didn't know how to spell my employer's name. So I had to physically go to the bank, tell them that this is going on. And they said they were short staffed and that there was no one to help me. But the best that they could do is just to take my ID and my debit card and email their team and see what they could do. And then it took 24 hours after that to reinstate my account. So now yeah. I am terrified of transferring my money anywhere from Coinbase to Voyager or else. No. But lucky, the end of this story is uh, Stephen Earl, Steve, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but Voyager, the CEO of uh, Voyager, Stephen, he reaches out to me. He's like, hey, dude, just transfer the money here. And so I do. I initiate the transfer from Chase to Voyager, which spots me. So they, they give me $100,000, uh, basically USD, which I know up to this point they technically don't have. They don't have my money at this point because T plus two. Like that's, if, if anyone who's you know unaware, when you initiate a transfer, they'll credit you the money, but they technically don't have your money from the bank yet. That still has to be approved by the bank. So I see this $100,000 and I'm trying to convert it to Tether so I could transfer it out to a different brokerage. And in 24 hours, I get the money out from Voyager. And that's when Chase suspends my account. And I know at that point, Voyager is not getting their money from my bank. Like they're, they're not going to get my ch the Chase $100,000 that I transferred over. And so I reached out to Steve and I was like, dude, I'm sorry. Like, I don't think Chase is going to give you the money. I was just, I'll just wire you money or something. I don't know. Like, what's the best way to do this? But it's, uh, yeah, that's, that's exactly what happened. Okay. I'm yeah. curious, how much how much money do you have with Chase? Uh, you say like over is it more over than, a million? More than, over a million dollars? Yeah. Oh, Andre. First of all, you should be with Chase private client. And also, I'm curious if 
there's if there's an issue transferring from a business account to a personal crypto account. I'm curious if, if there would have made it made a huge difference, a personal account to a personal account, not a business to a personal. Person, uh, yeah, it potentially, yeah, that could be the the issue because I told them the second time to cancel the wire because it would have been a personal to a business, and I was like, I don't think that's going to match. So Coinbase might not necessarily accept my transfer, but I could not transfer that money anywhere at all, and yeah, nobody would, would tell me what was going on. Well, I wouldn't. I would from now on never transfer from a business uh, to a personal account. I just wouldn't do that. I'd, I'd maintain that separation, but also with that amount of money in Chase, geez, you you should immediately. I thought, I thought the, uh, the what is the requirements for the uh, client? I thought it was more two fifty. No, it's 250,000. It's extremely, uh, all you got to do is call them up. Okay. I must ask. have confused it with uh, Kevin's, uh, what was the, JP he has Morgan. like a palladium card. Yeah, yeah. That's the JP Morgan private bank. You need got 10 it. million for that. Yes, yes. That's what I confused it. I was like, I think I need 10 million to get that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have that in my bank account. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Yeah, that, that's a situation, Andre. Holy smokes, it's, man. That's it's crazy. So, it's so crazy because they, they make it seem like oh, we don't know what's going on. It's like, it's just, uh, it's so frustrating. How many people have had their accounts shut down? And I've had, I kid you not, dozens of messages and emails of people saying they've closed their bank accounts to, for doing that um, just because they were involved with crypto transfers. So it's kind of interesting. But that was my experience. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a stressful day there, Andre. Chase yeah. private clients, yeah. What, what what would Chase a private client have done for Mr. Andre? Can you explain that, Graham? Yeah, they, they would have probably had looser regulations and stuff like that. They wouldn't they wouldn't flag. I'm I'm guessing they probably wouldn't flag as many transactions. And if you needed to reach somebody, it's the equivalent of being able to kind of skip. Uh, you have probably a dedicated team of people handling Chase private client, which is a lot smaller than most people calling into Chase. I'm guessing. Mm. Every time I've called them up, they give you a little debit card. I mean, you call the number at the back. Usually someone will pick up within a minute. Now, mm. let me ask you this, Andre. How's customer service been over time with Coinbase and how long you've been using them? Uh, I haven't I haven't really needed to deal with Coinbase um, okay. in terms of yeah, clearing any kind of money. But Voyager was wonderful. They're definitely really helpful. Yeah. Okay. That, that's good. Kevin, you got any so you're transferring the, you're transferring the money to uh to stake or are you you buying the dip? No, I'm buying something else, but we haven't gotten that part yet. <laughs> We're talking about uh, more more <laughs> NFTs. Yeah. Some insider info here. <laughs> yeah. Every time I talk about NFTs on this channel, I feel like you guys look at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> What's your Spider-Man worth? Because you said your Spider-Man's now worth a hundred grand. I'm like to sell it. It was Spider-Man. It was so less. It was a hundred thousand. I'm not sure what it is now, but I I'm, I'm sure today everything dipped. So let's see what it's worth at right now. And when I, I say worth, by the way, I kind of use that term loosely because NFTs are not very liquid. So it's not like I can just sell it right away and get my money right. Um. So let's see what it's worth right now. Well, in wow. the meantime, yeah, Jeremy. What what are you yes, up sir. to? You 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 buying this dip? When is this uh, drama going to end? And and why is it happening? Is it is it the shorts going off on us? Is it the uh, the suits? Are they lying to us, man? <laughs> or, or we really got inflation? Well, I'm in the down a million dollars plus in the past three month gang. So uh, hello everybody. Um, but yeah, I've been getting destroyed. And uh, yeah, I bought the dip today, like I do every day. And it's fifty two week low after fifty two week low after fifty two week low. Um, <laughs> You know, there's, there's a lot that I'm looking at in the market right now. 
And uh, in terms of what I think, I think we're, we're in a correction right now. Large caps have needed to come down valuation-wise. We've been trading rich for a while. I've been talking about that. Small caps are a deal, in my opinion. Mid caps are the, where the deals are. Large caps trading rich, so we kind of need to come down a bit, maybe a 10% correction. NASDAQ's down over 7% year-to-date. And in my 14 years being in the market, I don't ever remember the NASDAQ in the first three weeks of trading being down over 7%. That's extraordinary. So, but I mean, when these valuations are pushed on big tech, like they're pushed, you kind of have to come down a bit. Um, But the thing is, it's just the smaller cap stocks, anything under 10 billion is just getting devastated and growth stocks, stocks like PayPal hit another 52 week low today. Square, I believe hit another 52 week low today somehow the chef was up today. Okay. I don't know how that happened. Kevin, did you put $3 million in the chef or something? I don't even know how that happened. I, I don't even want to know what I would have been down today if the chef wasn't up, man. But uh, that, that stock makes no sense. It just does its own thing. But anywho, um, you know, Tesla, I think finished down today, right, Kevin? And that one was green for part of the day, if I recall. Yeah. Was it? Yeah, it was it was uh, quite a bizarre day. I mean, it just seemed like uh, uh, it, it had these little like spurts. And I feel like that's almost what the market's been like, where it's like, oh, now we're revving back up. Oh, no, no, we're not. Oh, we're revving back up. No, 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 we're not. <laughs> Very convictionless market. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I really think it's it's mostly because you've got uh, this this constant uncertainty over, oh, my gosh, inflation's going to be worse. But that's not what the bond market is pricing in. We looked at the inflation break evens. We're, we're not seeing inflation fear. Uh, what we're seeing is really just this overreaction to crap. Stocks are going down. Uh, sell before they go down more. That that literally it, the market just seems stupid over that, which which is fine. I mean, it creates a buying opportunity. I mean, what I don't know. I'm not selling anything. A hundred percent. And it's funny. There's almost this also. There's this other divide in the market right now, which is they're going to raise interest rates like four or seven times. As people talking about seven mm. interest rates rise now, right? Then you got another group that's like, hey, we we could go into a recession in 22 at some point. And it's like, those two things don't go together. Like if you get any sort of real recession fears, let's say the Fed gets any real fear about we might have a recession. Dude, Fed's not going to raise interest rates. If anything, they're going to drop interest rates because they'll be scared as crap, right? And so that's just kind of an interesting phenomenon I'm seeing out there. But it's certainly, you know, at least for me, a, a buy the dip opportunity. I feel like there's a lot of great stocks out there. There's probably at least 15 stocks I love right now at values. Um, and there's a lot of people leaving the market. There's been they've been leaving the market. They're continuing to leave the market. And it's unfortunate because if you just go throughout history, every single time you get a correction or a crash, that's when you buy. Right now, there's a lot of people right now, I've noticed also trying to time it perfectly where they're like, I'm going to get back in the market or I'm going to flood money in the market in the springtime or summertime because that's when we're going to start heating back up. When Right now, we're just going to keep crashing. And that's kind of like the cardinal sin of, of timing the market, right? Which is um, something every great investor usually preaches against is trying to you know time it out perfectly or something like that. Like at the end of the day, if you see a stock you love at a great price, buy the stock. Um, if it's not at a great price, you don't buy the stock, right? Um but yeah, it's it's and it's interesting. I've been watching Bitcoin actually very heavily because I've been interested to kind of see as the stock market's gone down, what was going to happen to Bitcoin. And Bitcoin seems to be holding pretty steady, like 41, 42, I've noticed. Um, it, that, that's pretty intriguing. What, what do you think about kind of the, the movement there, Andre, uh, in terms of Bitcoin and it not really doing much right now, but not falling like let's say the Nasdaq's been falling? Hold on. Before we get into that, I actually just sent you guys an article um, about during fed rate hikes i think kevin you mentioned it in one of your videos recently i saw that same thing mm-hmm. but in a market that has a lot of uh, rate hikes 
that's typically when the market is actually doing substantially well in as opposed to uh, uh, rate high, uh, red rate, uh, not hikes, the opposite of that one, whatever that is, uh, rate, rate cuts. That's right. So, uh, yeah, if you, if you guys well, want to show that, that's kind of interesting because that kind of goes against the, you know, common sense. Like w when you increase the rates, why would, why would the market perform better than when we're cutting rates? Yeah. Because well, and I was... typically the Fed, sorry, increases uh, rates when it's trying to cool the economy down and it's trying to cut the rates when it's trying to stimulate the economy. And so why would the stock market then do better when we are uh, hiking the rate? That's kind of an interesting yeah. thing. That yeah. And I I have... uh -huh. Yeah. The, uh, the stock market's always going to look for a reason um, to, you know, go down at a particular time. They're going to blame it on something. If it's not the Fed, it's a presidential election. If it's not a presidential election, it's tariffs. If it's not tariffs, it's, uh, you know, China. If it's not China, it's, uh, you know, at the end of the day, like the market's just going to look for a reason to go down. If the market was like that, just is the way it is historically. So mm -hmm. um, the question is, where's all the money going? I think that's a, mm -hmm. that's a question a lot of people, and I would love to hear your guys' perspective on this. If you're selling stocks, let's say today, which these stocks sold off hard, where's that money going? Is it really going into, you know, uh, bonds? Is, is that where this money's flooding? Is it going to cash? Like, what's your guys' uh, opinion on that? Or do you have any data behind that? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, I, I would say it's probably trying to, uh, in part, uh, well, here's the thing. Money can evaporate. And I think that's one of the things that we forget is just like people can become billionaires by selling uh, $100 million worth of shares of a company, creating the other 98% of, of billions of dollars essentially in value out of thin air by selling that 100 million shares at a high valuation, the same thing can be done in reverse. And I think we forget that. It's that if all of a sudden uh, folks are, are selling and there are no buyers, we could gap down. And that's sometimes just what we see in the market very quickly. So for example, you, you have a stock that's at $100, uh, but now you have a lack of buyers between 150. Uh, it doesn't mean that all of the people who let's say you go from a market cap of $100 billion at $100, just to make math easy, and it goes down to $50 billion. It doesn't necessarily mean that $50 billion was removed from the market. It just means we didn't have, we had sellers and we had no buyers between that point. So the price went down until, uh, until the demand met the supply. And now all of a sudden the company is worth 50 billion as opposed to a hundred billion, $50 billion just evaporated. Like that net worth just disappeared. Maybe, five or $10 billion of that was actually money that somebody took out and parked into cash or various sellers took out and parked into cash, but it could literally just be net worth evaporation. So it doesn't actually have to go anywhere. I that love sense. that. That's a great, I, you know, way you broke that down, Kevin was, was fabulous. Cause that's, I think that's a point. Not a lot of people, um, you know, really hits them. And if you saw the, you know, the real estate crash, that's exactly what happened in that. So, uh, I appreciate that. That's a great point for all the viewers that just watch that clip. You re rewind that one in the future because that's a that's a, that's a good little little thing right there. So, um, what do you guys think, uh, Graham Andre? You know, if people are selling today, let's say there was there, there's obviously there's a lot of selling pressure today. Where, where do you think that money's going? I wouldn't be surprised if if some of it's just being held in cash. I, I think maybe there. I don't think people are necessarily selling and then immediately reinvesting in something else. I think. Uh, you know, if people are selling, I think a lot would just be holding their money on the sidelines and waiting for a better opportunity to buy in. 
And uh, like we were talking earlier, Jeremy, I think uh, I think you had mentioned that a lot of people are kind of all in on the market already and that there might not be more money out there to be buying right now. Um, so if people are all in, you know, they're, they're trickling in the market. But if people are selling, you could just be waiting for a better opportunity. Yeah, yeah maybe the, people the, are just kind of moving money from one asset to another. It seems like investors, like, like you guys said, there's not much buying power anymore. So instead, people are just kind of shifting around the money and maybe trying different assets. Maybe people are experimenting a little bit with crypto, maybe a little bit with stocks, maybe a little bit with NFTs and just seeing what's, you know, what's the thing this year. Um, I have my money bet on kind of NFTs in the metaverse. I think this year is going to be crazy for it, but yeah, I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but that's that's kind of where my focus is is going this year. And I'm trying to understand that market because it's, it's a crazy, complicated thing and I have no idea. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I saw I got a video recommended to me on Instagram last night. Little baby, little baby's going all in Bitcoin and Ethereum. So, right. <laughs> yeah, he yeah, was at Icebox. Yeah. He said, Bullish. he said, bro, I'll put all my money in Bitcoin, Ethereum. He's and like, I don't also, want cash anymore. Also, maybe and again, I don't follow the Bitcoin price like day to day. But it, I mean, Kevin could probably answer this one better. But don't you think a lot of Bitcoin's kind of stability right now is just kind of people are trading on technicals? And they're just seeing where the support line is. And they're just like, well, where's the breakout? I don't know. That's, it seems oh, like that's kind yeah, of Yeah, I mean, that's on. 70 to 80% of the market. Uh, yeah. Just uh, the, the rest is just amplification of, of, of fear. Uh, yeah. You know, hedge funds. Oh, all right. Rate tight cycle or uh, uh, rate tightening coming. Uh, beta increasing between crypto and tech. Tech selling off. So let's sell crypto. And uh, yeah. because remember, a, one hedge is being in cash. You don't have to short the market to hedge the market. You could just be in cash. Uh, the time, in my opinion, to go into cash is when you're at all-time highs, though, like I was doing in November. Uh, you know, Now, for example, in my opinion, is the time to buy. Of course, this is when all the morons come out in, in the comment sections. You're like, nah, you're losing so much money. And it's, it's these people who never get ahead in life because they, they all they want to do is buy when the stock market's going up and sell when it's going down because they're complete morons. But that's okay. <laughs> we need those morons to be able to make money off of. So it's all right. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's okay, definitely... Did you read a comment? <laughs> oh, you know, I, I, I like... I, I see them all the time when I go into my channel to hide spam. Uh, mm -hmm. I try not to read the comments, but I do try to go in there just to moderate and like hide the little stupid spammers or whatever. But like, I, I Sorry about try that, not Kevin. to read the chat. Sorry to spam. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's always the gram accounts. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. I, sometimes I read your, your comments, Kevin, and I'll see one of my fake uh, spam accounts pretending to be me commenting. And look, I'm like, gosh, <laughs> hit me up on WhatsApp. Yeah. Oh, have you guys gotten those emails from people being like, oh, I can't believe you scammed me. And, and it's an actual real email that that they sent that they spoofed from your account. Like it's not in your outbox, but you can actually send an email from someone's real email account to make it look as though it was you. And then their yeah. their entire goal. So like the way they do it is they reach out to people on like WhatsApp or some other thing. And then they'll be like, hey, this is Graham, whatever. I'll promote your video and I'll talk about your crypto coin. And then those those people will pay that person who they think is Graham. And they're like, well, before I pay you, how do I know it's the real Graham? And they'll be like, I'll send you an email. And they'll actually be able to send an email from your real account. Now, if that person responds to that email, it goes to your inbox and they, they cannot respond to it. But they can send at least one initial email out from your real email. It's crazy what's going on these days. Hmm. 
Wow. By the way, I think around that, you have to respond to that email and then respond back. Uh, I just know I respond back to them immediately. And I'm like, hey, whoever you're talking to is not (laughs) who you think it is. Just stay safe. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Kevin, welcome to your first uh, major uh, hate cycle, man. This is this is my fourth I've been through now. So (laughs) the first first one was uh, GoPro. So GoPro obviously didn't work out. I made so many videos about GoPro and it was a failed investment. I lost, uh, you know, a lot of money on that stock. And that was my first hate cycle. My second hate cycle was in December of 2018. We had a big dip in the Mm, market. Oh, yeah. And I got tore up in that market and man, I got a lot of hate. My third uh, one was Tesla stock in 2018, 2019. My, that was my third hate cycle. You know, the amount of hate I'd get back then. My most, I think, thumbed down video in terms of ratio ever was I made a video, Tesla stocks going to $3,000. This is prior to the split. And then the next day, Elon Musk is in trouble with the SEC and the stock goes yeah. down 10%. Right after I made that video, it was the wor- it's the worst like to dislike ratio I've ever had in my life. So many hate comments. And then I would say this one's a, a pretty calm uh, hate cycle because I think a lot of uh, I think at least a lot of my folks understand like the game that's being played. And at the end of the day, you buy these corrections, you buy these crashes. Um, but, yeah, it's no fun because there's definitely a lot of people that like to laugh. And I know there's other folks that aren't YouTube creators that are going through this right now where it could be friends or family members or people on message boards. that are getting that hate right now. Whereas what we had last year at this time was a lot of growth investors bragging about their gains, right? And putting down value investors. I definitely saw that out there. You know, oh, grandpa, invest in your index funds. I just made 300% on this stock. And now we got the inverse where a lot of value investors or sideline people are watching everybody that's been buying stocks get devastated. And they're looking and they're saying, ah, you're so stupid. What an idiot you are, you know? So yeah. it's just, it's the cycles, man. And that, that's the cycle think, we're in right uh, now. So. How do you think Kathy Wood feels? Yeah. 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 That's a good point. Yeah. I'm just waiting the- for mine, Jeremy, when Bitcoin falls to 20,000 again, it'll be like, you idiot. See, you beanie baby investor, you. <laughs> just It's coming. It's, it's yeah. not a matter of, of if, it's, it's a matter of when. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think people wow. are gun shy about Bitcoin because every you know it's had such rapid rises that I think you know even though Bitcoin's fallen from whatever sixty something thousand to forty something thousand, I think people are gun shy to really attack attack that. So, but yeah, Kathy Wood. The interesting thing about Kathy Wood, she went from a what was labeled as a crazy lady, right? When she'd go on CNBC back in 2018, 2019, she was talking about Tesla stock. People are like, this, she's a crazy lady. Like I used to read comments, right? To then a god. Like literally like, oh, she can do no wrong to now. Whew, I mean, you know, everybody's attacking her and she doesn't know what she's doing. And, and you know, look at her losses and things like that, which I didn't see where ARC was at today. Anybody know where our ARC fund finished today? Was it in the I 70s? Think it was down 4% today. Because hmm. it, it's been in the 80s, if I recall. So I wasn't yeah, sure. Yeah, 4.15 down at 7, at uh, 77.50. So that's that's yeah. uh, I think that's a fifty percent fall from the peak then, if I recall. Correct. Yeah. Could, and yeah, you know what's actually also very interesting. I was just crunching some numbers here. Uh, it's very very expensive to short the market right now, even if you went for some out of the money put options. For example, I look at a firm which has fallen substantially. A phenomenal company just just uh, uh, announced that they're going to be showing up on uh, uh, point of sale terminals as uh, you know credit, debit, or buy now, pay later, which I think is phenomenal. Uh, We're going to have a lot of that in 2022. It's going to be great. 
But what's interesting is you, you go for like a $45 put, which is uh, 20 bucks out of the money right now. You're still losing on that contract 5 to 7% per freaking day. So if the market doesn't fall 5 to 7% per day, you're losing money on that short by the tune of 5 to 7% per day. That is extremely expensive. It shows you just how insanely over-shorted, oversold, uh, and, and over but essentially put option this market is when you have that sort of ridiculous pricing. I mean, it's, it's just insane right now. Hey, that's a great point, Kevin. And to piggyback off that for just a moment, look what happened with Activision today. I'm sure you guys yeah. saw Microsoft yeah. bought out Activision. So if when you have all these valuations getting pushed down on stocks, guess what? Bigger companies say, hmm, maybe we should have some, some buyout talks, right? Yep. And they're much more likely to engage with these companies. And that's another reason why you get screwed as a short seller because look what happened in Activision. Imagine you shorted at 65, let's say, and it's going down to 50s and you're like, oh, this is good. It's going to go down to 30s. That company's in disarray. They got culture issues. They got PR issues, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden today, the stock's at 80 something and you, there's no getting that money back. You lost. Like you lost the money, right? Um, it's not like you go long shares and then it goes down and you're like, oh, come back over the next few months, next year or whatever. This is like, they're done. You, you just lost a bunch of money as a short. And it's just another reason why shorting, I know it's attractive during a downtrending market. It's like, oh, I should just short stocks. Huh. But at the end of the day, it's so rigged against you. It's so yeah. rigged. Imagine, Two things imagine. I want to say. Go ahead. Uh, uh, we mentioned this before that Microsoft, was one what, what what was it the number one most held stock or bought and sold stock in congress was microsoft and uh, another interesting thing that we brought up last week jeremy you're asking me which stocks i was uh buying sofi did you see what happened to sofi what I happened mean, listen, down a lot they got regulatory approval to become a bank and issue loans take deposits so right now it says they're up 16 percent now granted that only takes them to like a $14 price, which is still mm -hmm. low for SoFi. The fact that they went to 12 is insane. But anyway, I mean, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah. No, yeah. I was just saying, Jeremy, imagine imagine TTCFs getting shorts, short sold and then like Amazon buys them out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They buy them at uh, $13 a share. By the way, no, if, if, if somebody tried to buy a Tattoo Chef, I'd vote against that. I don't care if it's at 20, 25. It could be at oh, any really? I would, I would vote that? against every single share. So I don't think I hold How's enough that? power to, to shut it down, but I would not vote for it. <laughs> but anyways, that's a, that's a whole other subject. But um, Explain why. Well, because I think the stock's going to 100 over the next decade. So I, I don't want $20 a share. But um in regards to SoFi, that's interesting, Graham. And, and I, you know, I think I mentioned this uh, maybe a few episodes ago, but I feel like there's so many of these fintech companies that are going to try to basically become banks. I feel like Voyager, if you listen to Steve talk in the past, and I know I think you've interviewed Steve before, Kevin. He talks mm -hmm. about, you know, them having not just debit cards, but credit cards and even potentially bank accounts, savings accounts, things like that. Um, who's to say Coinbase doesn't go there over time? Who's to say Robinhood doesn't? So I don't know. I think it's just, one, I think a lot of people want to do it. Every company should, but I don't know how difficult. I, I feel like it's easier said than done because it's easy for me to be like, yeah, they should do that. But like, how easy is it and how much is involved to do that? Because otherwise I'd say uh, Google should have a bank account. I think there's no reason why Google can't be a one-stop shop for everything. You get your entertainment, your email your bank, your loans, you can do everything in Google. 
Um, mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm sure they have a good reason for, for that. Graham, are you pumping your Google stock? Oh, man. I listen, I love Google. I'm a huge fan of Google. But I've always thought that they should get into banking. I, I just, I, you know, same with Apple. I think Apple's in, this, in the same place that they sh should. I, I thought with their Apple credit card that they were using that as a pivot to eventually get into banking. I thought that would be a great move for a lot of these companies, but well, well, it's interesting how even Tesla's expanding into the insurance game too, right? I, I saw that they only have a couple states, but yeah, they, but, they don't have Nevada yes. yet. But I was looking at it; I was like, I'd love to get my insurance through Tesla, but they just don't have it yet. Yeah, they don't. They're not in Nevada, unfortunately. I love my because I had Tesla insurance in California it was significantly less. But my understanding with Tesla insurance is because Tesla for insurance on Tesla before I went with Tesla insurance was stupid expensive. You called. Mm -hmm any company they'd be like well since they do their own repairs they charge a lot of money and it's very expensive and it takes a long time and because of that we're going to charge you some exorbitant rate mm -hmm. so my understanding was tesla basically saw this as like you know what uh we're just going to make our own insurance company we know how to repair our own cars we know how safe they are and because we know that these cars get in fewer accidents we'll be able to give you a uh, insurance policy for less you know what I think will be a differentiating factor from all of these fintechs creating their own banks? It's kind of like how Tesla's doing it. They'll be recreating their own underwriting models. So yes. like with Tesla, how they're doing it with your driving score, for example, it's like, oh, what's the rate you get? Well, that's your driving score. And I think in the future, uh, you know, companies like SoFi and Robinhood will potentially, and, and the Carrot, for example, right? Uh, the, the credit card for influencers where they're trying yeah. to recreate another underwriting model, basically, to, to judge your credit worthiness so that maybe it depends more on your social media following or some other criteria that's kind of new because all the systems we have today are kind of outdated. So um, that, that's what I imagine will happen in the future to differentiate themselves from each other is like a different underwriting model for valuing customers. Yeah. yeah. What, what's also likely is, um, you know, in the fintech space could be a lot of acquisitions over the next year or so, especially mm -hmm. if these it is a big if if these valuations stay fairly low, like let's say even like Robinhood and, and some of these other companies, Voyager and and um, SoFi, let's say some of them come back you know, a bit, Let, let's say they even rise 50%. They're still, you know, fairly easy for a company like a Chase to buy out or something like that. Like, let's say they wanted some crypto exposure. Why not buy out a Voyager, right? Um, let's say they wanted some, um, you know, uh, an innovative company like a SoFi. Why not buy out them? Um, so I think there can definitely be a lot of consolidation in this space over the coming years. So that's, that's another one of those things that I wouldn't short these stocks um, because, of not just the potential futures those companies have, but because big guys are going to likely want to swoop in, swoop in and, and, and probably buy out some of these companies. Robinhood's at 14 now. I, like, how much cash does Robinhood have in the balance sheet versus where their market cap's at today? Uh, they're yeah. almost $8 billion in cash sitting uh, compared to 14. I mean, they're 57% cash to, to value. In other words, if JP Morgan, a company with $447 billion of market cap, Literally wanted to take, uh, well, wanted to fart and take three percent. Is that yeah, three percent of their market value and just go? We own Robinhood now. It would not cost them three percent of their market value. It would only cost them one and a half percent of their market value because the rest is cashola. It's just green Kevin, hard cash. Let me ask you seriously, because because if fifty seven percent is sitting in cash, what is Robinhood's burn rate? Are they just burning yeah, through cash point. at this point? It's like, yeah, sure, it's 57% in cash, but that could be 20% in six months. 
Yeah, I'll pull it up for you. I'll get yeah. you the exact because it reminds me that it reminds me of the analogy that like yeah, you could buy a really great old AMG Mercedes for like eight grand, and it's a good deal, but that car is going to cost you eight grand a year to maintain. The, the the thing is, they raised so much money from this uh, from this uh, uh, IPO that uh, their burn rates nowhere near this. I, I want to say it was somewhere around maybe maybe 400 mil, uh, just off the top of my head. But I don't want to say it without being, well, because I'm going to be wrong, even though I did just say it. Uh, I, I'm just going to pull it up to give you the exact answer. Yeah, and, and Graham, I think there's two ways Chase would look at this. Um, one, let's just assume they try to do a deal for Robinhood. I think one would be, hey, kind of like um, the, the, the deal today, Microsoft for Activision. They look at it as Activision as a PR issue. Let's fix that with the company, the company culture. We'll get them back right. I think Robinhood's had PR nightmares over the past year or two. Chase could fix that. Second thing is cost synergies, where you could eliminate a lot of um, of employees potentially um, and a lot of cost and just uh, integrate that in Chase and make Robinhood much more efficient um, as, a, as a company inside Chase and, and vice versa. So. Jeremy, you said you said that Chase might fix Robinhood's reputation. Uh, a bigger company, uh, yeah. I don't know if there's a. It's not a. It's not an overnight fix. That's for sure. But big big companies know how to um, bury stuff. Let's just put it that way. You you got the best. You got you know. It's just the way it is. Is you know we can act like it doesn't exist, but these companies are really really good at at burying stuff. And, Does that um, include bodies? <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, we won't go there, but <laughs> I'll stop reading about them then. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Robinhood has, has definitely burnt through a lot of money over the past few years. There's no doubt about oh, yeah. that. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So are you guys buying get... Robinhood then at these prices? Or are you guys investing? Or I know Kevin bought a bunch. I mean, I uh, on uh, IPO, right? Kevin, you you bought a. It was before IPO. I had and uh, and then and then some after. Uh, oh no, actually, you're right. It was two days after. So it IPO'd. It fell like two days after to you like called thirty. Called it right there. And I yeah. bought more then yeah. as well, uh, and then it ran up to seventy. I sold calls against my position at 70. I think it ran to like 75, which was really, I mean, I should have just sold the shares at that point, but uh, I, I made a hundred percent on, on those sold calls, which was nice. So it lowered my cost basis, but still upside down now with how much it's fallen. Okay. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Yeah. In terms of Robinhood, they got a couple of things working against them for the next few quarters. Is one likely assets under management is going to go down drastically because most customers' accounts have probably gone down pretty drastically, and that rate of increase with customers is probably slowed to I would call it a you know I don't want to say a standstill, but you know to such a slow rate compared to that hype cycle we had in the market last year. And so these comps the next couple quarters are so tough for Robinhood. Yeah. Impossible. Like, how are you going to comp Q1 2021? 
right. but during GameStop during and GameStop, yeah. <laughs> and then Dogecoin Q2, it's going to be a disaster. Oh man, how are that's impossible unless we get something crazy like that again this year. Which yeah, it seems like, like every like, year like, there's like one to two events like that. So there's got to be two other things that we can't quite see yet that are going to come up. Yeah, there has to be at least one. It's got to be one. <laughs> they don't necessarily have to be positive, though. They could also be negative, which would not happen. Oh, I do. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Jeez. But, yeah, so, um, Andre, you know, with with the stock devastation, does that interest you at all, or are you just so so over in, in crypto, NFTs, and whatnot right now? You're kind of like, yeah, I'm not really interested in any individual stocks. No, I'm not, I'm not changing my strategy. I'm not, like, pulling money out of the market. I'm not, like, in cash or anything. I, most of what I have is invested, um, if anything, I've just put a little bit more money into another crypto that I think will will have a huge run up this year, um, just because of what's coming. So, so to, to sound like less cryptic, um, you guys know about Omi. I've told you about it before. It's the it's the app that I use to show you the collectibles, and Omi's kind of like the crypto that underpins that whole economy. And so, uh, one of the problems with it for a while has been just you can't buy it anywhere. It's impossible. Um, and so it's about to be listed on some major, major exchanges, like huge exchanges. And when that happens, that could easily have a two to five X multiplier effect on its market cap. Um, yeah, just because of what's happening. And the collectibles have recently also exploded in value too, um, just because of just everyone's starting to understand like what this is and NFTs are starting to become excited, uh, exciting. And so to me, like the way I look at NFTs is it's, um, it's kind of like a Veblen good. So it's like, uh, and, and what NFTs have done is they've democratized Dublin goods so that anyone can own their own, you know, JPEG that could cost, you know, tens of thousands of dollars that only cost them a couple dollars to buy. And that, that prospect's really exciting because traditionally speaking, Veblen goods have been reserved for like the ultra wealthy elite, you know. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with, with what I'm talking about with like Veblen goods and stuff. But uh, no. yeah, sort of, we, we, no. Go no, go ahead, Andre. You we spoke about it last week. I know you were talking about it. So, no, no, no. So it's it's, it's kind of an interesting history that 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 terminology. Um, there was there was an economist named Thorsten Veblen in 1899 who published his uh, uh, like the, his theory on the leisure class, where he noticed basically that the wealthiest people were buying um, things that they didn't necessarily need, and they were spending a ton of money. And it was to signal to society that they were extremely wealthy. And what they were buying at the time was like jewelry, pocket watches, and things like that. But as we entered the second industrial revolution and, and we started to democratize the production of stuff, the, the, the price of stuff started to come down so that even middle class families could, you know, signal their own, you know, wealth. And those those things, those things they were buying at the time became known as Veblen goods. Um, but over time, Veblen goods, the, the concept of Veblen goods, which, by the way, just goes up in value just because it does. And so more people want to buy it. And so more people buy it. Um, back so then, it was... So yeah. kind of FOMO, but but unaffordable for most people. Only only the wealthy class could signal that that with a Veblen good. But the concept of Veblen good is exclusive ownership, and that concept has to constantly evolve to 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 be ex exclusive for the ultra elite. Um, and so again, as we as we democratize the production of stuff, that that concept had to evolve. Today it was you know it's things like Ferraris and Rolexes and all this other stuff. But it was also iPhones at one point, if you guys remember, owning an iPhone, it was like, oh, wow, you could you could spend that much money on an iPhone that you're really, you know, you're really rich. And so, again, the concept of Veblen goods has to evolve. And to me, the perfect example of Veblen good is NFTs, 
Because what better way is there to signal to society from across the world that you're so wealthy and, and rich that you could buy a JPEG that's worth $400,000 or millions of dollars. And so that to me is, is essentially what Veblen goods are, is our NFTs. Except NFTs, or at least the right ones, have democratized this concept of exclusive ownership such that if you buy the right one for $6 or whatever it is, which is sometimes available, that could potentially change someone's life. And so I think people are starting to realize that and they're participating in this market and uh, they're trying to, you know, create their own little double so good. Where's where's Ecomi going to be listed? <laughs> this, is, this is secret information. I can't give you that. How is it secret? Because I'm looking at it. It's already up a significant amount in the last day. It's, it's just right? getting started. It's, it's just getting started. Yeah, it's just getting started. It, well, it's not just getting started. I mean, I, it's evidence just getting started, but it's also evident that like there's enough pressure buying it to raise the price this much. Right. Because it's gone up 50% in the last uh, week, is it? Yeah, 50% in a week. Yeah, so I have about, I, I didn't initially put in, but now it's like, man. I put in another 150 grand. So like total principal value I put in is like 300 grand into Omi right now. Wow. So I'm, right. I'm really heavily into it. Yeah. I think right. it's going to do really, really big things in the next few weeks. I could be wrong, but I'm not advising people to buy it, but I, I think big things are coming for it and I'm super excited. Is this like a P and D or what's going on here? What? <laughs> is it a P and D? <laughs> you mean a pump and dump? <laughs> that's what a PND is. Is that what's going on here? Because you're talking about that over the next few weeks, this baby's going to roar, soar. So I'm like, is this like a PND type situation where it's like yeah, all the excitement is like booming and all why is, there like, a, why is there a D in that? <laughs> why is there a D in that? A pump and dump. <laughs> that's what I'm trying to figure why out. Is, is there, is why is there a dump? dump? It's just going to be a pump. It's not going to be a dump, I hope, but yeah. you know, we'll see. Ne never heard that one before. Uh, so, look, here's your here's your chart for uh, this. I mean, over the last day, you've got some enthusiasm and excitement here. But if we right. go back to sort of the all-time, uh, this being around since February of 2021, you've certainly gone through its shares of hype cycles. Uh, it's a rank 210 coin. Uh, hopefully, you know, once it goes under uh, 200, it gets uh, gets more enthusiasm but uh yeah i mean uh you know the more broad adoption this gets uh the better so that's that's exciting uh, it's certainly finally on a little bit of an uptrend now and i think graham what you're talking about in the last week is like this little uh, right there yeah kind no kind of right, right from the bottom there that looks like about oh, from a week, here. Uh, yeah about oh a for everybody who's perfect at timing the market everyone is perfect <laughs> at timing exactly okay. got it but uh no so so by the way uh ecomis or bb's NFTs, the collectibles market, their market cap in terms of their floor prices for their collectibles is the third largest NFT project in the world, right behind Bored Apes and uh, CryptoPunks. Mm. And once they get listed and once more and more people know about them, I think it's going to easily be, become the number one NFT project in the world this year by market cap. What, what's hotter in your opinion, Bored Apes or, um, you know, the, the CryptoPunks in terms uh, of just like coolness, I guess you can say. I, I think I think Vivi's collectibles are cooler. You know why? Because NFTs at the end of the day are like an invitation to an exclusive party. Think of market caps as the amount of people that are aware that a party is going on. So like the greater, uh, the more popular or the, the larger the market cap of your NFT, like for example, their NFTs are based on 
Disney and Marvel and Cartoon Network and like huge brands and licenses that have been around since our childhood. Now, I equate that to the amount of people that know about this party that's going on. And so if you release, like if you host a party and billions of people around the world know that it's going on, not every person on, on the world is going to want to come to your party. But chances are, are, if a couple billion know about your party, then and if there's a few invites, like fewer invites than, you know, than more, then the higher the, the odds that some really a lot, maybe a little bit more of a wealthier person could stop by your party and pay you a little bit more of an entry fee. And that's essentially what it is. So if you look at any NFT project, you, you look at, you know, how many people are aware of this thing? Like, how big is it? What's the potential? Of, what's the market cap? Um, and so the, the higher the market cap, the, the more people are aware, the higher it goes up in value. Now, Bored Apes and all the other ones, they're, they're more of, they're kind of based more on commoditizing attention. So Bored Apes, the reason they're, they're so popular right now is because you have celebrities buying them, right? You have people tweeting about them, CEOs, whatever. And that's cool, don't get me wrong, but I don't want to invest my money into something that I, I don't know how to predict that. I don't know if next year or five years from now, people are going to be talking about Bored Apes or it's going to be some other hot commodity. Whereas I know that people know what Disney is. We grew up with those brands. Those brands are, the, those IPs are legacy. And so I know those are going to be relevant no matter what celebrity or CEO is pumping it. And that's why I'm excited about them. Hmm. Yep. Okay. So, so let's say with your Spider-Man one there, who's to say yeah. they don't just create another 10,000 of them or 100,000 of them or a million over the next five years, let's say, or, or whatever. Yeah, they will. They probably okay. will. And you know, you know what differentiates my Spider-Man from all the rest of them? It's the first. Yes, it was the first release. Just like you could say, well, why is your Charizard worth so much money, Andre? They've made billions of them afterwards. Well, because that was from the base set and that was the one people grew up with. I mean, you could name a billion reasons why. So, yep. I mean, any more than you could say, why couldn't they create more cryptos, Andre? Why is Bitcoin so valuable? They've created hundreds, of whatever, tens of thousands of different crypto coins. Why is Bitcoin so, so special? I mean, that's, I don't know if that makes sense, but. Look, yeah, there's uh, always going to be a, a, a you know lottery win in the NFT space, but uh, what's going to get forgotten are the 99% of these things that become yes. utterly worthless. And, yes. and the reason for that uh, is you actually mentioned it yourself, Andre, is uh, the liquidity problems. You, you could have this first edition Spider-Man, but when the market's going to crap. Who's buying it? Uh, you know, uh, people need their cash for other things. So your buyer pool is substantially limited and, and you're right. tying yourself up into something that's relatively illiquid. Now, uh, what uh, what I do think is interesting is potentially speculating on something like an OMI. A buy the rumor, sell the news is a typical cycle. You buy OMI and, and dump this thing uh, once uh, once it gets listed and, and uh, you know, the, the, the momentum's over. So if you wanted to trade it, I, I definitely think there's a move there in OMI. Uh, quickly, because we can keep talking about that. I just quickly want to answer Graham's question because I don't want people to yeah. think I forgot about it. It was just complicated. Uh, <laughs> this year is what question i completely forgot the question Kevin. no no I, I don't worry so yeah. graham asked me about the cash uh losses or burn of robin hood a robin hood yes okay uh, so here's here's the thing it's uh, uh it's when we okay complicated 2019 they uh now i lost where i put the darn thing darn it here it is 2019 i can't even read my notes oh there it is 2019 in the entire year they lost 106 million dollars 2022 20, they were actually profitable. They made $7.4 million, which, which is a drop, in, a drop in the bucket, nothing. Okay. Uh, but in 2021, all year, they wrote off, and this doesn't come from cash, this comes from share expense, 
They wrote off uh, about $2.17 billion in share expenses that they gave to their employees. Those lockups expired in December, so the employees were able to dump all of them in December. One of the reasons you've been able to see Robinhood plummet, or, or you've seen Robinhood plummet, is because they got these shares at $39.75. These poor employees are paying taxes on $39.75. But now they're taking potentially these massive losses to cover to cover their tax bill that they're going to have above and beyond their salary. So the vast majority of their losses this year have been directly as a result of uh, of the share based compensation. We expect that to be gone again uh, next year. And they've raised so much of that cash from this IPO. So it'll be really interesting to see how 2022 goes, because even though Jeremy's right, they're going to have some miserable comps. They're not going to have that scary, scary loss number again. And I'll pull up free cash flow as well in just a second. I was just still working on that. That's really interesting. I think at this point, they just have to stay out of trouble. As long, <laughs> as, long as they could just do that for a year and maybe yeah. come out with, a, I think, the crypto wallets. Is that, is that, is that out now, crypto wallets? I know next month, man, but I've heard next month for two years. Yeah, uh, because uh, I've heard some people have, been getting access to i haven't seen it though i've been i've been in line for i don't know how long but i, I still can't buy crypto on Robinhood. right well yeah well, you know what it is uh nevada wasn't uh you couldn't do that to begin with no. yeah it quickly so just to get catch you up on actual cash flow uh they had uh, in nine months for operating activities, they spent $609 million, which works out to only a burn of about $200 million per quarter. They did invest. Uh, so CapEx spent about 200 over those three quarters. So add maybe another 60, 70 mil to that. Uh, and so when you look at that, they're really only burning what generously maybe 300 million a quarter and if they've got if they're sitting on this war chest of seven eight billion the reason their financials don't look so beautiful is because of those massive expense write-offs on those shares but actual cash flow not as bad as it looks hmm. that's interesting so kevin are you buying more robin hood i'm out of money man i bought so much of this stupid dog stock uh <laughs> there's always there's always margin Oh, I'm in margin. Uh, so so I'm, yeah. Uh, well, look, it, people make fun of me, but I, uh, I, I've always had the same mindset that when, when the comment section, I want to make an algorithm for this. When the comment section is all over, uh, uh, you know, uh, sell everything, lost so much money, you know, hate this stock, hate that stock. That's usually buy time. So in November, uh, I, I was cash, right? I think y'all remember, like I'm sitting around, I'm like, I'm five, $6 million in cash. And that's because we were at, at these crazy highs. I was selling stocks, selling my options and just, um, I'm a load up. Cause if I know if I'm patient, there's going to be another dip. The problem is I spent, I, I said, I made a deal. I would go into 2022 fully invested again. And so I went in, I spent all my money buying stocks. I went about 10% in margin by the end of the year. And then I'm like, all right, bring on 2022. Unfortunately, so far, the first two weeks, two and a half weeks here of 2022 have been more red. So I've been nibbling, but uh, certainly not as much as I was able to do in December. And uh, that's just unfortunately uh, uh, the, the nature of, of uh, playing stocks. Now, the benefit is I definitely substantially lowered cost basis, took some big profits going into the end of the year. So I'm not disappointed at all. I lowered my cost basis substantially in a lot of positions. So I'm happy. It's not as low as it could have been, but I think it still worked out.
So Kevin, instead of the fear index, we'll have the hater index. <laughs> yeah, actually, seriously, it's it's very interesting when the common section, like when I was saying, oh, I'm going to short the market in November, uh, which had I held on to those shorts would have been immensely profitable. I, I sold them. I closed them way too soon. But anyway, uh, when I was saying, oh, I'm going to short the market, everybody's like, you idiot. We're going to the moon. We're on a rocket ship. SoFi is going to 50. It was $27 at that point. And I'm like, these are not so freaking prices, whatever. Uh, but the problem is when you get so much negativity from the herd, you, you can actually sometimes like fall victim to, to listening to the herd. And then, and, and then it's like, oh no, okay, maybe I shouldn't be shorting the market. Everybody hates me, you know? Uh, and, and then yeah, it's like that social media aspect comes in too, where we have to like, that's, oh, you know, we don't want our audiences to hate us for, for doing what is actually financially responsible during that time. It's, it's, right. it's wild. That's, that's why amazing. I've been so motivated about this idea of, of like this, this fear algorithm from the comments, because it's the same thing. I guarantee you the same comments from March of 2020, when I'm buying the dip and people, you idiot, it's going to keep going. It's, it's all going to zero. The same thing happened right before the election in September and October of 2020. The same crap happened in May of 2021. It's the same crap over and over again with the same dumb morons who can never make any money in the market because they're babies and they don't want to buy the dip. That's funny because you're using human psychology essentially to make money, which is, I think, really smart. Um, it's kind of one of the reasons why I'm bullish on NFTs in the metaverse, because I think the herd mentality is this is dumb. What are you doing? This is stupid. So I'm kind of feeling the same way. And I'm essentially using human psychology as a way to predict that Beblin goods to me will always be relevant. And I think everybody wants to signal to society that they're wealthy and that they're rich. And if you can stay ahead of that curve and that, like, what's mm. the next asset class that's going to be the Beblin good of the next decade or the next century? Beanie babies. Yeah, that's NFTs. <laughs> and that's, what is it? Beanie, Beanie babies. babies. I, I actually yeah. love what, what I mean, you, you said a great thing there. I mean, you just uh, you, you flipped the script here, uh, Andre, and I think it was, it's brilliant. Uh, maybe maybe uh, people want to show off their their uh, their NFTs like they want to show off a new car, right? Like, why do people buy a new car? It's not because they need to get from point A to point B any relative uh, like at a faster rate of speed or whatever. It's like most cars are fine. Uh, yeah. It's because people want that car in their driveway. They want that impression. Like, like you know, I think what you're describing is we want to be able to show, oh, I got the latest and greatest, right? Have you seen my plan? <laughs> it's faster than a Bugatti. Have you seen it? <laughs> oh, Jeremy, by the way, what's your garage looks very clean here. Did you get the, did you do your flooring? Wow. Your flooring. Are these new floors, Jeremy? Can you hear us? Are those new floors? Oh, those are, uh, no, they're like carpet. So, got it. Okay. I didn't actually like do a new floor, it's just carpet. Like you told me, Graham. So, got I do it. whatever you tell me. So, cool. you said put carpet in, I put carpet I in. I did. Looks good. You told me buy Tattoo Chef all in at 21. Oh, so, no. I did. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but hey, no, Andre, you made a great point. And I know Kevin just gave you respect for that point. I, I agree with that. Like, there's a certain amount of people that, that are, if we're going to the metaverse, right? You're going to, there's going to be showing off wealth. There's no doubt about that, right? It's, and then it's if not you can, the metaverse, go well, ahead. No, 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 no. But, but it's like, that's part of it, right? That's part of it. But then if you can cloak it inside, 
I'm going to make money on this. It gives you like the extra plus. It's like Graham always says with Rolexes, right? He's always like pro Rolex. And he's like, you know, yeah, you can buy it, but it's like, you're going to make money on it too. Or, you know, a Ford GT. Right. Remember when he bought the Ford right. GT and we yeah, gave him a Those are all Veblen goods. hundred percent. All of them are Veblen yeah. goods. Like Rolexes or, or the watches that he's been buying. Like they're not necessarily the best places to park your money, but there is some there there's some inherent need to have that kind of wealth and and have it and just what for whatever reason whether it's a way to signal to society or as a way to like maybe convince yourself that it's a good way to park your money and grow it Dude. but i think what's different about <laughs> nfts here's the thing the difference between nfts and something like a whatever like a car is that well not necessarily a car but is that with nfts it's somewhat democratized the way for people to make money because, for example, with Vivi, if you can get on a retail price at any of their releases at retail price, not a single one of them, I, with the exception of maybe a few, but I'm pretty sure whatever was released at retail price, the floor price has been higher, like 2x to 3x higher. And that to me, that's 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 interesting. That's fascinating. It's like everything that people are buying is making money. Now, will that continue forever? No, of course not. But, you know, if you're paying attention to the space close enough, then you can kind of have a pulse on it. You can kind of see where it's trending. I appreciate that perspective, Andre. Kevin, what, what do you got for us? You seem like you got something for us here. Yeah, I mean, I was just looking a little bit at the the definition uh, of of this stuff. Uh, it, 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 I mean, it's it's interesting. It's just ve here, Veblen good, Veblen good. Demand increases as the price increases uh, yeah. because of its exclusive nature and appeal as a status symbol. And then they give examples like coveted products, designer jewelry, yachts, luxury cars. Uh, which, which to me is really just like a, a FOMO, FOMO purchasing status symbol here. I, 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 don't, I don't, I don't know. know. It is, it is, but it does not take away from the fact that the people who bought those things at good prices still made a ton of money. So yeah, I, you I know what it reminds me of the license plates in Dubai. Have you yeah, seen this? Is yeah. video that keeps getting yes. recommended to me. The guy was yeah. like, you pull up in a Rolls yes. Royce, the hotel doesn't yeah. care. But if you have a license plate that just says <laughs> six. Three or something, yeah. And he's like, How much do you pay yeah. for that? It was like 20 million dollars for the license plate <laughs> six. And what do you say? Yeah. Like, the king has number one, and everyone knows that's the king. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. <laughs> how, how silly is that, though? That's really silly, right? That's like, but we all do it on some level with something. Take a look at so, this the yeah. artifact or artwork is not the goal. Uh, this is literally NFTs are a form of status or revelling good. The artifact or artwork is not the goal. Instead, the ability to take something useless or mundane, but somehow mm -hmm. demonstrable as unique, prove provenance and flaunt yeah. wealth to some peer group considered yes. high status is the goal. So, so yeah. in other words, uh, the, you know, this person's making the argument. He actually makes the argument that NFTs are currently in a gold rush, st rush stage. But basically, they're arguing mm -hmm. it, do it doesn't matter what it is as long as mm -hmm. it can be distinguished as something that gives you status then right. then it works now my problem with this uh crypto punks my my problem with this is these crypto punks look uh ethereum's gone down what like 15 18 from its highs but the floor price for these guys has gone down somewhere i mean what is it what is the floor price now on these things uh 200 189 000 here the floor price on these things has gone down somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 to 45%. So the, the problem, I think, with NFTs, that is, and I want to hear from you, is a counter argument to this Veblen good thing is, I can't go make another private jet. 
I can't make a Rolex. I can't make Graham's Ford GT. I can make this bull crap, okay? My six-year-olds <laughs> can make this. Stop right there. Hold on. I didn't hear that last part. What did he say? What did he say? I said my six-year-old can make this crap. Oh, that's fair. Okay, so here's what I'll say. That's you can, you can't make them. <laughs> All right, calm down, boomers. Let, let, me, let me teach you something. All right, so, okay. You can make a crypto punk, right? It means you can draw it, right? You're saying. But can you make me the first NFT that was ever released? You can, you can tell me that? You can make that? Look, no, I, I get what you're saying. But here the issue is, I don't care if you got the first CryptoPunk, if CryptoPunk ain't hot no more because somebody just cracked the a mutant vial on a bored ape, which some jerk-off decided to make a, <laughs> a, an ape come out of a vial of, of nuclear fluid. Uh, Kevin, and, and that's the new hot commodity. And that's right. now what's on everybody's Twitter picture. Nobody gives a crap if you got the first crypto punk anymore. They care about no, those. Correct, correct, and there's going to be something else next week. You you don't care. But clearly the market does. Well, Why, not when the price is plummeting. <laughs> wait, hold on, hold on. When you say the price <laughs> is plummeting, you're saying it goes from 400 grand to 200 grand and therefore it's, it's like silly? Like... Well, look, look, it, it's, it, this is just you a matter of You told me, Andre, months, right? this $400,000 thing is now worth $5. I would be like, you're right, Kevin. But considering that the floor price dropped from, what, 250 to 200 that doesn't seem to prove the point. Well, well, well okay, okay. I, I see what you're saying, but we are on a trend that is going yes. down. The issue, and, and uh, look, I, I wanted, I was considering buying either like a board ape or a crypto punk or whatever. So I've been studying this market and, and one, and that doesn't necessarily make me an expert in it. I don't think it does at all. I think there's a whole lot more to learn. But one of the things that I'm noticing is uh, NFTs are, are uh, in my opinion, not timeless as I potentially thought they were. See, I thought that if I buy a crypto punk, because let's just say, let's say I have $500,000 of Ethereum sitting around in Coinbase. I have a choice. I can stake it and, and get a little bit of yield. Uh, I can, you know, maybe four or 5% or whatever on Ethereum. I can also throw it into a CryptoPunk. And maybe the theory is that I would get appreciation on top of the appreciation of Ethereum. So Ethereum goes up 10%, but CryptoPunks became a little bit more exclusive. Maybe my 500K went up 20%, right? That was the theory. Problem is now Ethereum's gone down about 15% in value. These crypto punks and their floor price has gone down 45% in value. You're talking about a 3x accelerated decline. And it's not because the first is no longer the first. It's not because someone drew a new crypto punk. No, right. that's all still fine. It's plummeted because people, the, the status symbol right now is not uh, the, the Rolex. It's not the jet. It's not the Lamborghini. It's the board ape mutant club <laughs> no and and in two months it's gonna be something else and jeremy made a good point disney's gonna disney's making bank off these nfts go buy disney stock uh because they're just gonna print spider-man doing twenty-seven thousand different poses <laughs> it's like okay at some point well, Kevin, that's not going to be the status symbol anymore Kevin, you you explained market volatility that doesn't really go against anything i said though you're right the market is extremely volatile and uh economic whatever relevance takes precedence over a Veblen good. That's also true, which is why you're seeing Veblen goods fall harder than anything else. It's also true for parking your money anywhere, whether it's a Rolex or anything else. It's, it's, you know, there's less liquidity there. It's harder to sell those things. They fall yeah. further than, than, 
whatever, stable assets. That's all true, but you're describing volatility. You're, I don't think that really goes against. No, I, I actually don't think I'm describing volatility. Volatility to me would be uh, one day the CryptoPunk is 400. The next day it's 425. The next day it's That's 380. Then it's price. 425 again, right? That's volatility. What, what, what I'm talking about is the sentiment shift that right now people care substantially less about CryptoPunks. And the odds are we're not going back to caring about CryptoPunks anymore because that's the way society works. You mentioned psychology. I'm right there with you on psychology. I think somebody says, look, I, you come to me and you're like, and I don't know anything about Rolexes, but you're mm -hmm. like, hey man, I got a 1920 Rolex. Oh, that's freaking awesome. So, or you go, hey, I just bought a Rolex. It's a 2022. Right. Oh, that's awesome. The sentiment has not changed. People like Rolexes. People like vintage cars people like muscle cars people like jet airplanes right. right now people are losing interest in crypto punks and that could happen to any nft whereas i don't think we're gonna see in five years somebody come up to me or you and say hey i just bought a rolex <laughs> who buys that crap i got an apple watch <laughs> right yeah, no, I can't, I can't defend Bored Apes because I don't own one. So you might be right that in the next few years, Bored Apes might not be as relevant anymore, which is kind of what I said. That's the reason I'm not buying those because I have no idea what that market sentiment will look like. But I can reasonably assume that, you know, the licenses that BV has that has been around since our childhood will probably retain some value. Now, how much? I don't know. But again, you're speculating essentially what you're doing with NFTs um is this whole metaverse this whole concept of where do we spend most of our time nowadays is it really like in the physical world or is it on the internet is it online a lot of us spend most of our time online so how do you then signal that stuff that that same basic human psychology is it going to be a rolex i don't think so no so you're pessimistic about the outlook on the metaverse and where, where we'll spend most of our time whereas i'm a little bit more yeah. optimistic about it now i'm not saying you, you know what i think is going to do really well it, yeah. and, and, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. Keep going. That's my fault. Keep going. No, I'm not saying that you should put all your money into it. I'm not like advising that. I'm just saying that if mm -hmm. you can speculate a little bit with some extra yeah. cash you have, that's just kind of my play here. I, yeah. And that's that's fair. It's it's speculation. That's fair. I'll tell you what what is the most bitchin NFT you could have in the metaverse mm -hmm. is if I have a jet airplane, I have an NFT of that same damn thing in the game. Because now you see that NFT and it's like, oh man, he's got one in the game and he could go fly on it too. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you're, you're like, talking, I want yeah. the NFT yeah. of, of my Rolex. I want the NFT yeah, of my want, Model S Plaid. And, and that's coming. But that's coming. That's all. That yours. I, you know what I thought like. was interesting for NFTs is uh, someone was saying they would be used for authentication. So when you yeah. buy a Rolex... There's going to be an that's, NFT that's the associated. original yeah. concept of NFTs was supply yeah. chain. That was yeah. that was the original concept of so NFTs, supply chain. I could see, so I could absolutely see that being a positive use case. Yeah. You get a Rolex, you get an yeah. NFT alongside that that verifies you yeah. are the owner of that Rolex. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let me let me jump in here for a second because I I think it's you know, man, you're comparing NFTs to you know Rolex or Pokemon cards or Ferraris or or these things, right? But I think yeah. there's there's I think there's a difference in the way those things were framed versus where NFTs you're thinking about, I'm going to buy this Spider-Man uh, NFT because I'm going to make money off it. Right. Whereas no one, or at least almost no one that bought Pokemon cards in the early days were viewing it as this is a way I'm going to make money. Um, same thing with Ferraris, same thing with Rolexes, same thing with, um, 
you know, Birkin bags or whatever, right? It became right. that over time. And so over over the course of decades, it all of a sudden became like, you know, it was worth a lot. No one was buying old Jordans back in the day right. because they're like, this is going to be worth a ton of money. He's like, this is sick. This is the new Michael Jordan shoes. I'm going to buy these, right? You're half right. So, you're half right. You're, you're yeah. half right in the sense that like some people genuinely are buying their favorite NFTs just because they love them. Like th there's this dude on Twitter who was offered half a million dollars for his Disney golden moments statue. And he didn't want to sell it. He's like, no, I, I like it. I think that's going to be worth more someday. So, I mean, some people genuinely do just buy these things just because they love them. So I don't, I don't know if we can blanket statement and say like when people are buying Pokemon cards, I'm sure there was some subset of people that were buying those things for investment purposes, which is why I'm able to have some of the PSA 10s is because those older people saw the potential because they did it with baseball cards. That's what they did with Pokemon cards. That's the only reason they survived. Now, I do agree with you that a lot of people today are buying NFTs specifically for the reason to make money with, um, which is why I also think that 90% of NFTs will, if not 99, will become irrelevant in the next few years. 100%. I totally agree with that. I'm not arguing there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, which ones, I like which ones are going to survive? I, I, like, we all can, you know, form our own opinion. Um, I'm putting well, yeah. my money where my mouth is, and that's that's what I think is going to be valuable. You're so far, so far, it's working, but it could very well, to Kevin's point, fall apart in the next few years. I don't know, Andre. That's, that's I wouldn't I'm be doing. surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if at this time next year your Spider-Man's worth a million dollars. I also wouldn't be surprised if it's worth ten thousand. It's such a new oh, market that it, it's hard to say yeah. what it could be worth. I'm not you know? selling that thing for less than a million. That that was my whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, yeah, it's just, you never know, um, you know, especially with a new market like that, there's no precedence. There's nothing to go off right. of where you can say, this is how these things are valued. This right. is why it should be worth this much. It's a brand new market and in, in new markets, you know, you never know how things can trade. So exactly. Yeah. And maybe all of a sudden you sell it in a year and then in two more years, somebody sells it for 10 million. You know, you never right. know. Oh, <laughs> yeah. For sure. For sure. And I think it's important to be skeptical. You know, it's, I don't, I think it'd be very silly just to blindingly buy NFTs that you don't know what they're doing or what, what they are. Um, there should be some thesis behind it, but you guys understand my thesis with regards to what I'm buying. I think those are just relevant brands that'll stay relevant for a long time. And, and people that are fans of those brands will pay a lot of money to be a part of them. Um, so just, what you're, what you're saying is if you're going to get involved with NFTs, go with yeah. big brands and go with the first generation, essentially, because that's the one that people will actually care about. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things to pay attention to. Number one is to pay attention to their potential market cap of the concept itself. So, like, for example, if you were to buy uh, an NFT from a very specific artist that you like, like you're limiting yourself to a pool of people that are aware of who that artist is. And so then it stands to reason that if you buy NFTs from brands or concepts that are very large and a lot many people are aware of, then I think you're you're increasing your pool. So I'm I'm trying to like decrease my liquidity issues in the future, essentially is what I'm saying. And trying to increase the chances that of those perhaps millions, if not billions, of people that are aware of those brands, perhaps some percent of those people are multimillionaires or billionaires or whatever that would like to become a part of that once they realize what this is. Um, that's kind of my thesis behind it. Also, utility is important too. Like for example, the golden statue or the golden partner, uh, uh, NFT that came with 12 months of free Disney plus subscription. That's cool. That's awesome. I mean like, so yeah, you buy it for $300. You've got something that's now worth $30,000 floor price and you got access to 12 months. Now I think that's cool. And I think as companies realize that the more utility you add and mind you, 
that utility ad is not limited by the companies. I could add my own utility. I could say, listen, anyone who owns this Spider-Man could come to my house on Christmas every year and we could party. Those add intrinsic values to those things. So you're not limited to those utilities by just those companies. You don't have to wait for them. You can have your own value adds. There's just so many exciting things that's, that's happening in the market there. 100% and somebody called it a gold rush earlier and it kind of is a gold rush, you know, in terms of you could like say uh, that about Bitcoin, you could have said that about Ethereum, you could have said that about crypto mm -hmm. in general, NFTs, you could have said that about yeah. stocks, you could have said that about anything, anything. Yep. Yeah, and it's not a it's not a bad it's not a bad thing um, at the end of the day. You know, if it's a gold rush, there's gonna be some people that make some crazy money. And as you said, Andre, you're not you wouldn't be surprised if ninety to ninety-nine percent of these yeah. things um, you know, go down in value and kind of like the gold rush. It wasn't like everybody made money, but you know, if you if you you know got the right if area, early enough, if you were money. early enough, chances are you might have struck gold somewhere. It wasn't that difficult mm -hmm. to find it if you were early enough yeah. and you understood it. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the interesting thing with NFTs is just another way to kind of think about it is it, NFTs have come about in a, in a time when there's, you know, money is very flush, you know, over the past year or so. Um, right. The economy has been relatively really good, especially for people that have money. Right. Versus Bitcoin, when Bitcoin came out. You know, that, you know, we were in economic shambles. It was a bad situation. People were very risk adverse, if anything, right? right? Like, you know, people didn't yeah. even want to own bank stocks for a long time because yeah. they were scared of owning bank stocks, never mind Bitcoin. So I will say the market for NFTs, it, it's come to market at a very, very different time than like Bitcoin and, and, you know, yeah. even Ethereum came to market. So, yeah, I agree. Well, Graham, you've been really quiet. Well, you know, what's your two cents on, on all this? Your I'm taking it in. I still don't understand NFTs, to be honest. To be with fair, you. Graham, he made a Bitcoin video all those years ago. He's like, this is a scam. <laughs> don't buy this. <laughs> I listen. So, oh, I never, I never called Bitcoin a scam. You could look through any old video. I've never called it a scam. Never once. Uh, the first Bitcoin video I made, I compared it to uh, gold. And I okay. said how I could see people could use Bitcoin as a store of value or as a way to transfer uh, uh, money from one account to another. Obviously, yeah. it turned out to be a terrible use of transferring money, but a good use of storing value. Um, I didn't understand it, and that's why I never invested in it. So, well, until uh, just over a year ago. But NFTs are something I don't know. You know, we talk about status symbols, but they change so frequently. It seems like every few years there's a new status symbol that, that you know, it costs so much money to keep up with that. Remember, like 2007, it was true religion jeans. You'd wear those true religion <laughs> jeans and like, you know, oh, wow. Yeah, you were rich. You had you had that money. Now it's like, who wears? Nobody. Nobody does that. You do it's odd. So I don't know. I feel like yeah, the comparing true religion, change. like how many people know what true religion is, right? Like if you're, you're taking a micro brand and you're saying like, oh, of course, of course, that one would evolve. But like. You know, could we look at it from a bigger perspective? Like jeans. Wow, that jeans turned out to be a fad. Imagine the guy who created, invented the concept of jeans. Like uh, that kind of stuck around Maybe. for a while. So. I, I, don't I, don't think, I think a lot of it comes down to if it's mismanaged, you know, like if true religion had managed their brand correctly, they would still right. be highly relevant today. Like Louis Vuitton's managed their brand pretty damn well. Right. right? right. Um you know, and with Disney, the one risk you're kind of doing there is if you if they screw it up, you know, like let, let's say Pokemon, let's say Pokemon ever made a original base set again. Like that would have been the dumbest thing ever. Right. And everybody would have gone crazy, but they could have screwed it all up because it could have been like, oh, we'll make so much money if we just make original base sets again. Right. You know, everybody's going to go out and buy them. So you, you do risk like everybody else screwing it up for you. Sure. There's always so. a risk. Yeah. 
yeah, there's always risk. Kind of like stocks, you got the management team, they can always screw up things, they can always make bad mistakes and things like that. Um, that's the one nice thing you've always pointed out with Bitcoin, uh, it, it, you know, Andre, is no one can really technically kind of screw it up because it's not like there's a one person that controls it or something like that. Right. So, you know, 100 percent. Um, so anyways, you guys got any predictions on when this uh, market, let's say malaise will will, you know, when's Bitcoin going back up? When stocks going back? I'll be up? right back, you guys. Give me a minute. Oh, yeah. you got to get an oxygen mask, Andre. He can't, he can't handle the heat. He can't handle the heat. He's got to go check on his NFT prices right now. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. Yeah, what do you think, I, Graham? I think it's going to take probably the first rate increase for people to really see what's going on with the Fed. So I would say maybe April. I, I think people are going to wait. People are going to worry about the first rate increase. Okay. That's what yeah. Kevin, you got any prediction when when oh, the stocks I, I, are I moving again? March, March, April. Buckle up for more pain. The market's uh, gonna be a little weenie baby. You've got futures down right now, another half percent. So it's gonna be interesting. More dip yeah, buying coming. That is interesting, and there's just a lot of man. There's just so many people that that feel like you know we're not coming back until second half of the year. It's just interesting to kind of see that perspective. And if enough people think it, I guess it's true. Or you could say, well, if everybody thinks that, maybe the opposite's going to happen. I don't know. You know, we'll see. But anyways, I think we're ready to take it home, but we, we're missing yeah. our compadre, Mr. Andre. Andre's going to miss out. How about this, guys? Thank you so much to all the members of the group. And also make sure to subscribe. Uh, the last time I mentioned just subscribing, believe it or not, it drove up subscriptions by like, 4x it's it's crazy so even just mentioning the subscribe button please do us a quick favor we're here every week subscribe oh oh and we were on time today we were precisely on time we're here exactly at six that's worth a subscribe it's worth one like and th this yeah. was the best episode we've had in a long time so we deserve an extra thumbs up and an extra subscribe hey hey, because hey. i hear you guys are talking smack i'm reading the comments section and yeah i heard you guys saying that i can't handle heat what we we didn't yeah. say anything, Andre. We didn't say anything. We didn't say anything. We swear. We swear. So, anyway, guys, thank you so much for watching. We'll see you next week. We'll be right on time at 6 p.m. Just make sure to subscribe to make sure that we're actually on time at 6 p.m. Yes, look at the market sentiment in the comment section. NFTs are dumb. They're garbage. Blah. Perfect. <laughs> great. That's, that's what I want to hear. I would be scared of buying them if people are like, they're the best. They're great. Like, I'm out. All right. We'll see. <laughs> So thank you guys so much for watching, and until next time, see ya. Peace. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.